This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Heart for Lebanon. God is using Heart for Lebanon to bring practical assistance and the gospel to the stricken refugee families in Lebanon. For a gift of $116, you can give a child and his family survival essentials for four months and the hope of Jesus Christ, which lasts forever. Call now, 888-247-5499, 888-247-5499, or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Welcome, everybody. Let's talk about this country a little bit, shall we? Have you been in the grocery store lately? Boy, those prices are skyrocketing. And have you seen the gas pump? I'm sure you have. Maybe you've even seen these little stickers of Joe Biden saying, I did that, which are now showing up across the country on gasoline pumps. Well, who can blame anybody for feeling that way? Because this is Biden's fault. It's Biden's fault. That's what happens when you shut down pipelines and you don't solve the shipping crisis happening outside California. By the way, Despite all of these bragging, you know, moments that they had about the fact that they were going to really get the 24-7 port deal down and they were going to make sure everything came into Los Angeles in a more timely manner. There was a story yesterday I was reading about the fact that now they're not that's not making any difference. In fact, there are more ships now. They don't want to solve it. They don't want to solve it. Why? Build back better, baby. It's all about globalism. It's all about deconstructing America and reconstructing it in the old image of Marx and Lenin. That's basically where we're headed with a little touch of globalism and technocracy thrown in for good measure. But this will lift your spirits perhaps a little bit. This is interesting. A new poll out from ABC News Washington Post finding... That if the midterm elections were held today, the majority of registered voters say they would support the Republican congressional candidate over the Democratic candidate in their districts. And what this means is the Republicans at this stage have the largest statistical edge over the Democrats in four decades, four decades. This is from Fox. The survey, which was taken after the Democrats passed that ridiculous $1.2 trillion bipartisan infrastructure investment and jobs act, shows 51% of registered voters saying they would support the Republican candidate in their district and only 41% say they'd support the Democrat. That's a disaster for the Democrats if those numbers hold. 51%. Because think about this for a moment. If you are voting for your local candidate, what you're doing here is you are reshaping Congress. And that's the hardest thing for the Democrats to overcome if the Republicans were to seize Congress again. Now, this brings back shades of the Clinton era where the Republicans were able to win back Congress four years into or two years into Bill Clinton's first term. And then he became more conservative. He kind of edged back. He recognized the political moment. He's not quite as radical as his wife is. But on the other hand, you can't really commend Bill Clinton because he's Bill Clinton and we all know what Bill Clinton is like. So, but, but you have to give credit that when the Republicans took back Congress, that was a, a really a big neon sign to the Democrats. You better pull back from your agenda. Now, we are many years removed from that moment in political history. And now that we're in 2021, it remains to be seen whether or not these radicals have any ability to pull back from anything they ever do. 
they're just, it's weird to me. It's, it's not weird because we all know what these people are up to, but it's weird to me how more Americans do not recognize what these folks are doing. They are trying to reconstruct the United States of America by destroying it. They're trying to destroy it. They're trying to destroy the economy. They're on this climate change train, which most Americans couldn't care less about and understand that it's not about climate change. It's not about the weather ruining all of our lives. And let's get some more windmills up. We understand exactly what's going on. Millions of us understand what's going on. And I don't believe that most of the people who voted for Joe Biden were doing it because of climate change. I was just sharing a poll not too long ago, just a couple of days ago, showing that climate change is not a priority for pretty much anybody in this country. So the people who voted for Joe Biden, is this really what you wanted? This whole build back better nonsense, which is a joke. These people, you have to give them credit. You have to give them credit. They always use the most wonderful language to describe legislation that usually does the opposite of what the name of the legislation is. That's what they do. You know, it's like Orwell. It's it's they're fantastic at it. So this is what's going on. You got a really big margin for the GOP heading into the midterms. Now, what I fully expect these people are going to do is they're going to try to look maybe a little bit more conservative to try to win back the independence. But the problem is all they do is they will look a little bit more reasonable going into the next election so then they can turn around and undo everything that they said prior to the election because that's who these people are. They're a bunch of liars. They're a bunch of liars. This is interesting out of Iowa. Donald Trump is up 11 points over Biden in a rematch. Uh, This is kind of interesting from Newsmax. A majority of likely Iowa voters back Trump in a hypothetical 2024 presidential rematch against Biden, giving the America first president an 11 point edge on the White House. This is from the latest Des Moines Register poll. Just 40 percent of likely Iowa voters backed Biden. Four percent said they would vote for neither. Another five percent remain undecided. Seriously, how can you be undecided? I don't think Trump's going to run, though. I don't know. A lot of people are weighing in on whether or not Trump will try to run again. I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if he'll, he'll really do it. I think Trump's moment is probably over. That's what I think. I think Trump's moment was, in many respects, a great moment. And he did a lot of good things while he was in office. But I think for people who are not solid conservatives, he's too hot to touch. And you need a fresh face coming in. And a lot of people are saying, bring in Ron DeSantis. Will Ron DeSantis run for president, though? If I were in Florida, I wouldn't want him leaving. I wouldn't want him leaving the governor's mansion. And not only that, his wife is suffering from cancer. So who knows if that's really what he wants to do. But I just, can we just stop already? Trump is getting up there in age. Biden is, he's going to be in his 80s for crying out loud. And they're still trying to put forward this narrative that he's going to run. Well, I don't think so. Baloney. I don't think it's going to happen. In the midst of all of this, surging inflation. Do you really think these people care? This is George Stephanopoulos over the weekend interviewing Biden advisor Brian Deese. Now, this just tells you everything you need to know about the spin that these people put on absolutely everything. He says, what can Americans expect in the short term here? Is inflation going to get worse before it gets better? Listen carefully to this answer from the Biden advisor, Brian Deese. Cut five. We're focused on how to address this in the short term and the medium term, George. In the short term, number one, 
we have to finish the job on COVID. We know that the more that people feel comfortable getting out into the economy, going to movies rather than buying a television at home, working in the workplace, the more we can return a sense of normalcy to our economy. Getting those shots out for five to 11 year olds is gonna provide a lot of comfort to American families. We're making a lot of progress on that front. Getting more workplaces COVID free is gonna make uh, more Americans comfortable getting back into the labor market as well. The second thing we can do right now is focus on these supply chain issues. You know, right now the American economy is moving more goods through the economy than we ever have, but that's creating some challenges. We're working with the ports in LA and Long Beach, getting them to go 24 seven and getting right to work in implementing this historic infrastructure bill. On Monday, the president will sign this bill into law. It's the first time that a president is actually delivering on a bipartisan infrastructure bill. And while a number of those pieces will be longer term, there are things that will go into effect right away to try to get money out to help, for example, upgrade our ports, upgrade our airports, upgrade our roads. We're going to work without, without delay to get that money working for the American people. So in other words, yes, inflation will get worse before it gets better. I mean, isn't that the answer? Because his answer had nothing to do with the question. We need to people get people out of stores and not just buying things online. Uh, newsflash, sir, have you been in a store lately? Getting more people into stores where the shelves are empty? How exactly is that going to help anything? And by the way, what do COVID shots for five-year-olds have to do with inflation? Absolutely nothing. No five-year-old should be getting a shot for COVID. No 11-year-old should be getting a shot for COVID. These kids are at almost no risk. Almost none. We all know that. We have kids, and a lot of us sent them to school during the height of the pandemic, and it was fine. We didn't know one kid who got seriously ill, even in the colleges. There were no big spikes of COVID. It's ridiculous. And the supply chain, oh, we're going to make sure they're going 24-7. Yeah, that's working splendidly so far, Brian Deese. Fantastic. They keep going back to COVID because it's the only issue that resonates with their base because they're a bunch of nervous Nellies. Please, please, federal government, protect me from COVID. COVID is a serious virus, but things are getting better. And these people just want to hold on to their tyrannical ways. We're going to come back. Stay with us. The Ministry of Preborn is there for moms in crisis who are choosing between life and death for their preborn babies. Meet Sophie. At 22 weeks pregnant, Sophie was pressured by her mother and boyfriend to terminate her pregnancy. After meeting with a preborn counselor, she found the love and support she needed. After I had that first ultrasound and I saw her and I was looking at the pictures over and over and over again, that's when I decided I was going to stand up to my mother and tell her, no, I can't do an abortion. Sophie chose life and now she's awaiting the birth of her baby girl. Every day, Preborn is on the front lines fighting Planned Parenthood to help young moms just like Sophie to choose life. For a gift of $140 today, you can help to rescue five babies' lives. And now through a matching gift, your gift will be doubled, rescuing 10 babies' lives. To donate, call 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. 
This is Janet Mefford for Bible League International. Authorities in China are making life difficult for Christians. It's against the law to share Christ with children under age 18. We cannot preach to children under 18. That is their practice and law. But when the parents bring kids to the church, when you can teach them English and then you can send the gift of gospel to them, it is a great joy. Believers are teaching English to young people using a Bible League program that uses God's Word as the source of the reading assignments. And many are coming to embrace Jesus as Lord and Savior and sharing Him with their families. Please join Bible League in sending God's Word to Bibleist believers in China and around the world for only $5 per Bible. $50 sends 10, $500 sends 100. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD, or there's a Bible League banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Thank you for your support. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Well, first you get excited seeing that CNN is actually doing what a lot of liberals are calling a hit piece on Kamala Harris. But then you read it and you realize it's not a hit piece. It's not a hit piece at all. These people on the leftist media train are much more excited about Dan Quayle spelling things wrong than they are about Kamala Harris being completely incompetent and a total embarrassment to the country every time she gets in front of a camera. Recently, it was being in France and talking in front of all of these scientists about, isn't science interesting? And it's all about starting with a hypothesis. And never mind the issue of people saying, she was speaking in a fake French accent. I've listened to the video of that. I'm not sure that's actually true, but she's had so many embarrassing moments and she was put into the VP slot for political reasons, not for competence reasons, for political reasons. It's all about identity politics and pleasing the far left, which is the base now apparently of the Democrat Party. The radicals are calling the shots and they wanted a woman and they wanted a woman of color or else. And those were some of the threats that were issued to the DNC prior to Biden making his selection as VP. So you want to live by identity politics, folks, you can die by identity politics because that isn't the way that you put people into important slots of leadership. It is for the left, but it shouldn't be for anybody. You should be putting the most qualified people in positions across the board, whether or not it's politics or private business, industry, what have you. You should put the most competent people in charge. And if it happens to be somebody who's of a different, you know, identity politics group, then fine. As long as the person is competent, I have no problem with it. Anyway, CNN has this article, Exasperation and Dysfunction Inside Kamala Harris's Frustrating Start as Vice President. Some people are calling this the long knives coming out. I'm not so sure. I read through the article and they're protecting her. She's a leader. She just doesn't have the chance to lead. She's She's just not being treated well. Here's some of the lines from this article when they talk about the fact that they're, they're, the White House is saying key West Wing aides have largely thrown up their hands at Kamala Harris and her staff deciding there simply isn't time to deal with them right now, <laughs> especially at a moment when Biden faces quickly multiplying legislative and political concerns. Many in the vice president's circle fume she's not being adequately prepared or positioned and is being sidelined. Right, because every time she comes out, she giggles. She giggles incessantly. She says dumb things. She says insane things. I'm going to get to that in just a moment. 
And yet she's a heartbeat away from the presidency. So I think the, the, the takeaway from all of this with the Biden successor chatter growing as Politico reports and Harris not scaring off anyone. I mean, this is Politico saying this. Harris isn't scaring off anyone. They say Vice President Kamala Harris's role has given her proximity to the president, but also placed her political future in the back seat as she toes the administration line. Right. Talk of successorship has spilled into open view in recent days with even a close Biden ally, former Connecticut Senator Chris Dodd, speculating about Harris's positioning in a potential 2024 primary. She would get annihilated. She would get annihilated. How do we know this? Because she got annihilated when she tried to seek the Democratic nomination before. She got annihilated. Now her numbers are 28%. I like the people online who are saying, look at the numbers for Biden and Harris and lop off another 10 points. And those are probably the real numbers. I believe that because I don't believe anything these pollsters say. I, I don't believe anything they say. I think it's way lower than probably they're even reporting. They can't let them get too embarrassed, I suppose. But this is where they are. I don't know how they make this better. And they don't want to get rid of Biden because then they get her. Who are they going to put in? Oh, I'm sure Beto will run to the rescue. Oh, no, no, he's going to try for Texas governor again. We don't want you, Beto. Give it up. Give it up. Not a good time for Mr. I'm going to take all your guns away from you to try to make a second stand in Texas. It's not going to happen. You're, you're not going to be the Texas governor. I think Don Huffines has a much better likelihood of, you know, taking Greg Abbott's place if that does happen. Uh, than Beto does. We'll see how it goes. But this is interesting. This is interesting. Jim Acosta, good old Jim Acosta over at CNN, talked a little bit about that CNN article on Kamala. And this is what he had to say. This is cut one. Tension and frustration behind the scenes between Vice President Kamala Harris and the White House. The accounts come from nearly three dozen current and former Harris aides, administration officials, Democratic operatives, donors and outside advisors who spoke to CNN about the complex reality inside the White House. On one side, members of Harris's inner circle who believe she's being sidelined and set up to fail instead of being positioned to be a future president. One former uh, high-level Harris aide put it this way, we put this up on screen, they're consistently sending her out there on losing issues in the wrong situations for her skill set. CNN has also learned Harris has told confidants uh, she feels constrained in what she's able to do. The mood apparently summed up by the satirical headline from The Onion uh, goes like this, that Harris defenders sometimes pass around when they're feeling annoyed. Uh, White House urges Kamala Harris to sit at computer all day in case emails come through. Of course, it's not that bad inside the White House. But on the other side of things, you have West Wing staffers who say they are completely exasperated, throwing up their hands at what they perceive as some of Harris's awkward mistakes, including some uh, cringy answers on Israel and the border crisis. Sources tell CNN there's also the belief that Harris's staff has repeatedly failed her and left her exposed. Okay, it's the staff's fault. By the way, when he was discussing about her skill set not being adequately used, the first thing that popped into my head was, what what exactly is her skill set? Oh yeah, working with Planned Parenthood to ransack David Delayden's home in order to nail him to the wall for exposing Planned Parenthood's baby body parts trafficking operation. She's really good at working with Planned Parenthood. Put her in that wonderful role once again. I'm sure that will happen at some point. Give me a break. What is her skill set? What is her skill set? Well, let's listen. I'm going to play a couple of cuts for you so you can see clearly or listen 
and hear clearly exactly why Kamala Harris is being sidelined because she's in over her head. I don't know what you say about a woman who's been Peter principled, but she has been Paula principled. I don't know if you want to Paula pick a penny principled. I don't know. Let's listen to just a few weeks ago. This was making the rounds like crazy where Kamala uh, Kamala Harris was meeting with these kids and talking about how the NASA and the, you know, the space program and how cool it is and isn't this wonderful. And then it later comes out that, oops, they were child actors. And what's so hilarious about it is they couldn't have looked more bored. And you're thinking to yourself, if these are child actors, don't they have a duty to act? <laughs> act interested. For crying out loud, if these were actual kids who were organically meeting with Kamala Harris, they probably would have looked a little bit more excited than these kids did. They just looked flat out bored. Listen to the vice president of the United States. Cut three. Curious and interested in the potential. I just love the idea of exploring the unknown. And then there's other things that we just haven't figured out or discovered yet. To think about so much that's out there that we still have to learn. I love that. I love that. And so I'm very excited about the Space Council. We're going to learn so much um, as we increasingly, I think, are curious and interested in the potential for the discoveries and the work we can do in space. So that's one of the things I'm most excited about. But the other, you guys are going to see. You're going to literally see the craters on the moon with your own eyes. Oh my goodness. With your own eyes, I'm telling you. She sounds like an incompetent kindergarten teacher. Clearly, she doesn't spend a lot of time around children because she was like a caricature of a kindergarten teacher who really shouldn't be in that position. You're going to see the craters of the moon with your own eyes. You mean like we all have when we looked at pictures of the moon like that? What are you talking about? But I think this is even better. This is from Grabian Media. Back in August, they did a wonderful compilation of Kamala's worst hits. Let's put it that way. Let's just recall what it is about Kamala Harris that makes her unfit for this position, much less the president of the United States getting into the White House and inflicting more of this on America. Let's listen to the Kamala lowlights. This is cut four. This election in November, it's going to be about our literally our health and whether we live or die. Thank you, guys. And my pronouns are she, her and hers. She, her and hers. Mine, too. So I decided I was going to start prosecuting parents for truancy. What else do we know about this population, 18 through 24? They are stupid. They make really bad decisions. Do you believe that Americans should have the right to vote at age 16? I'm really interested in having that conversation. Convicted in prison, like the Boston Marathon bomber, on death row, people who are convicted of sexual assault, they should be able to vote? I think we should have that conversation. She thinks we should do away with the electoral college. Is yeah. that, do you agree with that? I think that it's, I'm open to the discussion. I'm, I am prepared to get rid of the filibuster to pass a Green New Deal. But would you support changing the dietary guidelines? The, the, yes. The, you know, the food pyramid. But people yes. Are, the, yes. To reduce and red meat specifically. Yes, I would. So would you ban offshore drilling? Yes. Do you ban plastic straws? I think we should. Assault weapons right. that are already in circulation. What do you do about those? It, we have to have a buyback program, and I support a mandatory buyback program. <laughs> 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 Kamala Harris calling the attack an attempted modern-day lynching. Which tweet? What tweet? Uh, the, about Jesse Smollett. Um, 
Okay, so I will say this about that case. I think that the facts are still unfolding. There you have it. There you have it. She's against everything good, it would appear, and backs Jesse Smollett, who lied. Lied about being attacked by phantom MAGA supporters in the middle of the night in the city of Chicago, which, by the way, cracks up those of us who are from Chicago. MAGA supporters. MAGA supporters in the city of Chicago are about as rare as a sighting of a grizzly bear in, I don't know, in the swimming pool. I, I, what, what do you say? There, there are no MAGA supporters running around in MAGA hats in Chicago. The guy was a liar and she said it was a modern day lynching and she wants to get rid of your meat and she wants to get rid of the filibuster and she wants to get rid of the electoral college and she wants 16 year olds and convicted felons to vote and she thinks the 18 to 24 year olds are stupid and by the way, her pronouns are she, her and hers. whoop de doo Keep... Keep watching. We'll see what happens with these folks. We'll be back. Stay with us. This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Heart for Lebanon. God is using Heart for Lebanon to bring practical assistance and the gospel to the stricken refugee families in Lebanon. For a gift of $116, you can give a child and his family survival essentials for four months and the hope of Jesus Christ, which lasts forever. Call now, 888-247-5499, 888-247-5499, or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Welcome back. Are any parents really fully prepared for their kids to become teenagers? Well, likely not, because even though we were all teenagers once, we tend to forget a little bit what it was like when we become moms and dads ourselves. Best-selling author Dr. Gary Chapman has some good insights on this topic, though, which he outlines in his new book we'll be discussing called Things I Wish I'd Known Before My Child Became a Teenager. Gary, it's great to have you back. How are you today? Well, thank you, Janet. I am doing well, and it's great to be back with you. No, thank you. What is it about the teenage years, do you think, that are particularly challenging for parents? There are a lot of challenging stages, obviously, in your child's life. What is it with the teen years? You know, I think one of them is that the teen is in the process of developing logical thought. So they're going to question the parent about things they never questioned before. Yeah. You know, as parents, we kind of think, well, they're getting argumentative <laughs> and we want to stop the flow. You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> in reality, it's good because they're I didn't say they're thinking logically. I said they're learning to think. logically. Yes. <laughs> the brain is changing and that's true. And so if parents understand that, they cooperate with the process. So if a teenager questions, you know, something that you've taught them through the years, you say, well, that's an interesting perspective, you know. I tell you what, why don't you uh, uh, study some things and find out what you can. Let me do that, and let's come back, and let's have another conversation about that. So, you know, it's stimulating thought in their mind rather than saying, now, you know that's not right. Now, don't don't talk like that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right, right. Well, your title alone is, is a great title, but I'm curious to ask, when you were entering those years with your kids, what did you know? What worked during that period of time uh, that you look back on and say, yeah, that, that was the right move? I can tell you more the wrong move than the right move. <laughs> <laughs> An honest man. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I would say on the right move, I did spend time with my teenagers, and that's exceedingly important. 
my son and I would take a little trip together every summer, just just the two of us, you know. Uh, earlier, I picked the sites. So as he got a little older, I let him pick the sites where we went. And, and that was really, really positive. And I think I did learn to speak their love language during those years, and yeah. that was super positive. The thing where I really failed, and, and I, I, I learned in the process, though, and I'm grateful that I did, is how to handle anger. Mm. Uh, because I remember my teenage son, he was probably 14, and he was, we, he got, we got into an argument. I don't remember the topic, but he was yelling at me, and I was yelling at him, and we both said some hateful things. And in the middle of it, he just walked out the front door and slammed the door. And when the door closed, I thought, oh, my, I thought I was further along than this, yeah. yelling at the son I love, you know? Right. And uh, when he came back in, eventually, I don't know how long, I, you know, I had had my little cry and poured my heart out to God and confessed my sin. And he walked in, and I said, Derek, could you come in here a minute, son? And he came in, and I apologized to him. I said, no father should ever talk to a son the way I talk to you. And uh, I know I said some hateful things, and that's not that's not right. That's not the way I feel about you. I love you. And I said, uh, I, I want to ask you to forgive me for talking to you that way. And he said... Dad, that was not your fault. I started that. And he said, I shouldn't talk to you that way. And when I was walking up the road, I asked God to forgive me, and I want to ask you to forgive me. Whoa. So we hugged, we Uh cried. And after our little cry, I said, Derek, why don't we try to learn to talk our way through anger rather than yelling at each other? And uh, we did. And it was a turning point in our relationship and in helping both of us handle anger. So I think that's a huge issue for parents. Uh, you know, our our teens t- tend to follow our model even more than our words. Right, right. You know, if a teen's yelling at a parent, it could be they learned it from the parent. You know? Yeah. I've had parents, Janet, say, well, wait a minute. If I apologize to my teenager, won't they lose respect for me? No, no, no. They gain respect for you. They already know that what you did was wrong. Yes. (laughs) Right, right. They're not fooled. They're not fooled. And, you know, you're right. That was exactly where I was going with this. When you talk about a parent's model being more important than words, it's not that words aren't important. But this issue of modeling Christian behavior and modeling good parenting for your children, I mean, that would extend not just into the teenage years where things can become quite uh, crazy at times, but also you're, aren't you long-term showing your children how to be a good parent themselves in the future? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I say to parents, you know, having said that, listen, you don't have to be perfect. There are no perfect parents, but you do have to deal with your failures. Yes. So that when you do something or say something or fail to do something that you know you should have done, then apologize to your child. Otherwise, they're looking at your model and they say, well, they taught one thing, but they, they're not practicing it. And so we turn them off uh, to, to our own beliefs. So apologizing uh, you know, re- removes the barrier and uh, they realize that we're sincere and they're far more likely to then follow our model uh, than they are if we just act like that didn't happen. Right. And it strikes me as well that when Scripture talks about fathers don't exasperate your children, that that kind of takes away the exasperation factor because that can become exasperating for teenagers if they're really trying to you know, talk to their parents and the parents are digging in because I'm the parent and I'm not going to show any weakness to you. That can become exasperating because the teenager is old enough to know you did something wrong and you won't even admit it. 
Yeah, absolutely. And that's why I say to parents, to teenagers and parents, and I, and I wish I had learned this more, you know, when my mind were teenagers or before that, but I did learn as we, went, as we went along. You know, our first child was a daughter, and she could have raised herself. You know, I mean, she was just compliant. And all, and then I was wondering, why did people have problems raising teenagers? You know, <laughs> then, we had, then we had a son, yeah. and I realized, yeah, and it's not always male-female. No. I don't mean to uh, communicate that idea. But I do think if parents understand that teenagers are going through a tremendous change in their brain and in their body and in their emotions. And that's why, you know, in the morning they might be real open and kind and, and in the afternoon they just turn you off yes. because of what happened at school that day, you know. Right. And so that emotionally they're up and down. If we understood more about what's going on in the teenager's mind, I think as parents we would be better able to, to adapt to it. I think you're right about that. And when you mentioned that teens are developing the ability to think logically, they're not completely there yet. They're developing that ability. You mentioned the issue of questioning and the fact that teenagers will begin to question you. That's not necessarily a threat. That's just a, a stage of development that they need to go through. What other kinds of challenges, though, do you see as teenagers are developing that ability to think logically? What kinds of pitfalls might there be for the parents during that period of time? I think if we don't listen to them, and hear them out and ask them questions about, you know, now, where did you get that idea? Where did that idea first surface in your mind? And, uh, and why do you think that that is better than what, we, what I have always taught? Uh, if we listen to them, ask questions and listen to them, because they want to be heard. Uh, being heard communicates to them that you value them as a teenager now. They're not a child. In their mind, they're not a child. In your mind, they're not a child. And so they want to be heard. I remember when my son said to me one time, he said, Dad, I'm going to do what you say. I just want you to hear me. Hmm. You know, and I think that's the cry of every teenager. They want to be heard by the parents. So rather than trying to stop their conversation, whatever it is, or tell them, you know, they shouldn't think that way, use it as a time for learning. You know, explore. What, what, let's just uh, surmise if everybody in the world took that position, how would that impact the world? Right. Right. Well, you know, they begin to think about it. And so you're not trying to convince them to agree with you. You're just convincing, you're challenging them to think. And that's what they're already doing. Yeah. So you're, you're playing into what is happening in their minds anyway. So that's the positive part. That's good. So the helicopter parent might want to be aware at that stage of life what worked as a three-year-old will not work with a 13-year-old necessarily. Absolutely. Do it because I said so. It's not going to hack it with a teenager. <laughs> no, no. And in a way, it's, it's com, you know, communicating to your kid, it would seem, a lack of respect that I'm raising you to launch you. You're, you're forever going to be my little one. And that, 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 it would seem, at, at some point becomes more about the parent and the parent's desires than the desire of the parent to launch the child at some point. Yeah, and I think that's what we have to keep in mind because they are, they are also moving toward independence as a teenager. Yes. And that's why they may say, well, I don't want to sleep in the room with my brother anymore. I don't put my bed upstairs or, you know, they're, 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 they're trying to be more independent right. and that's fine. We should encourage that. But with independence, we should teach responsibility because the two go together. X, absolutely. Dr. Gary Chapman is with us. We're going to come back discussing things I wish I'd known before my child became a teenager. You're listening to Janet Meffer today. Stay with us.
For those of us who live in America, it may be hard to believe, but there are people in the country of Lebanon who have never heard about Jesus. That's exactly why Heart for Lebanon is there, working in the nation that's home to more than two million Syrian refugee families who have arrived there to escape civil war and terrorism. But every day, Heart for Lebanon is there, reaching out to these needy families in Jesus' name, telling them about him and providing food, Christian education, and survival essentials. And the Lord is changing their lives. Let me tell you about one of those refugees, Hanifa, who is 10 years old. She lost her mother when she was just a toddler, but Heart for Lebanon met her as they were delivering food portions to her family. With no opportunity for formal education, Hanifa wakes her father up early in the morning when Heart for Lebanon's educational fun truck is scheduled to arrive. Recently, during a skit about God's love, Hanifa placed her faith and trust in Jesus for salvation. And now, because her father is illiterate, she's reading the Bible to him each evening. This family, although currently living in very tough times, is slowly starting to realize the hope that only comes through Jesus Christ and the hope that only reaches them because people like you give to get the gospel to them. Your single investment of just $116 helps someone like Hanifa and her family with supplies needed to survive the next four months, and the hope of the gospel, which lasts forever. Perhaps you could help a family like this for an entire year by joining our Hope Provider team at just $29 a month. Whatever you can do, please call now, 888-247-5499. That's 888-247-5499. Or there's a Heart for Lebanon banner to click at JanetMefford.com. These families need immediate help. More than that, they need Jesus and they need you. Please call now. The number is 888-247-5499. That number again, 888-247-5499. Thank you and God bless you for your generosity. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now here's Janet. Thank you for being with us. And it's great to have with us Dr. Gary Chapman, bestselling author. And his latest book is called Things I Wish I'd Known Before My Child Became a Teenager. You had mentioned, Gary, before the break, this important subject we need to tackle, which is the fact that teens are moving toward independence. And one of the things that you talk about is the need for personal space. You kind of alluded to that when you talked about the kid who says, I don't want to sleep in the same room with my brother anymore. How do you navigate personal space, though? Because that, that can be a point of contention where you want him to come downstairs and set the table or do a chore and he says no I just need my personal space what are the limits of personal space during the teen years would you say yeah well I think first of all uh, we, we we need to play along with some of those desires for independence because listen when they're 18 years of age typically they're going to finish high school they're going to go off to college right or they're going to join the military mm-hmm. you know they're going to get a job we want them to be independent and so those little steps during the teenage years of being independent are really important. But with that independence, we need to teach them responsibility. For example, let's say that you say, okay, well, we can, we can put your room up in the attic or we can put your room in the basement. But now here's what, here's what we have to do. Every week you have to dust the room and you have to swap, sweep the floor or mop the floor. What, you, know, you just decide what they have to do. Uh, those are the responsibilities that go with it. And if you do that every week, then fine, you know, we, we can let you do that. Or maybe they want a dog and you've never wanted to have a dog. Well, okay, well, let, let's, let's have a dog. But now that means that you have to feed the dog and you have to wash the dog. And that goes with it. Or they're, maybe they're driving now, okay? And so, okay, now the responsibility with that is that every Saturday you have to vacuum the car. And you also, obviously, you have to keep the, the traffic laws. And if you break a traffic law, 
then you're going to lose privileges for a week. Right. So and they're learning independence, but they're learning responsibility. And both of those are really important as they move toward adulthood. Yes. Now, when we talk about another area that you cover in the book about culture greatly influencing teens, and that's one of the things you wish you had known before your child became a teenager, it's getting harder and harder out there all the time, Gary. I think you know this as well as anybody with the advent of the Internet and smartphones and Snapchat and Instagram and all the rest of it. Parents really feel like they're losing control. They don't want to necessarily be standing over their children watching everything that they do online. But at the same time, they don't want their kids being drawn away, especially from God, because of what they're reading on the Internet. And that's just one form of culture that's really influencing teenagers. What, which areas of culture do you think that Christian parents in particular need to be most concerned about concerning their teenagers? I think, I think the online presence is probably the major one. Obviously, another would be the people with whom they associate in school. And that's why trying to keep up with what's going on at the school and deciding if this is the best school for your child or not the best school for your child, being willing to sacrifice if you decide that a private school is going to be better than a public school for them, uh, you know, that, that, that's because they are influenced by, the, by their peer group. But, you know, Janet, research still indicates that the parent is still the most dominant influence on the teenager, not the peers, but the parents. Yeah. But I think in terms of the online thing, we need to have some guidelines and have a family conference. Let the team be a part of it, but have some guidelines. Uh, for example, I suggest that there be no uh, that they not be allowed to have their their phone or their technical device in the bedroom at night. Uh, they go, there should still be a bedtime, yes. and they can go in the room and read if they like. But we all of our phones are going to be plugged up downstairs. Uh, that's just we just make that a rule. Mom and dad are going to follow the same thing, okay. and uh, and they see the child realize well this is the way it is here, you know. And I think also having screen free times, for example, the evening meal. And I know that you have to work and having an evening meal together, but uh, to me that's important that we're having at least one meal together every day, and it should be a screen free time. The TV is off, you know. We're not looking at our computers. We're not answering the phone. They let everything go to voicemail. And we're going to talk around the table. We're going to share life with each other around the table. So, And I think teens, though they might rebel at the beginning, if you've never done these things before, uh, I think they really will come to appreciate it once they see the value of having some guidelines. Yeah, I agree with you completely on that. I think that's tremendous advice. What about giving them spiritual direction? This, again, when you are facing this issue as a Christian parent, it's not necessarily as easy in the high school years as it probably was when the kids were five and you could make them go to Awana or you could have them, you know, go to vacation Bible school or what happens, you know, whatever happens to be the area where your church is involved and you can involve your little kids. What is the best way that you have found to help teenagers really get firm footing in Christ? You know, I think having a daily, daily time with the family, the younger children as well as the teenagers, mom and dad, we did that at breakfast. It, that was just worked for us. Even though my wife's not a morning person, uh, you know, she decided she was going to get up and fix a hot breakfast every morning for the family. 
whoa, that was like a Mother Teresa act for her. You know? <laughs> That's great. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, it, and during the, while we were finished, sitting at the table getting ready to eat, I would read a passage of Scripture, maybe ask a question or two of each of the children, their, get their input on it, and then we would have a prayer, not just thanking God for the food, but, you know, praying for each other, praying for the day. And our kids look back and say, you know, that was one of the most meaningful things in their lives. So it, it shows that uh, our, our walk with God is not just a Sunday thing. You know, we go to church and we do this. No, no, it's a daily thing. Yes. And I think the more we can, uh, we can do that with the family and the teenagers, uh, the, more, the greater impact it's going to have on their lives. That's excellent. That's really excellent. How about the issue of guidance, Gary? Because at the same time you want to allow your teenagers to have more independence and grow up and mature and give them the space to be able to do that, they do need guidance. How do you advise Christian parents to handle that issue during those key years? Well, I think it's important. And one of the things I would say is, On the issues of the day, uh, for example, the whole alcohol drug issue, which is a huge issue today among young people, uh, one of the things I remember I did, I would clip a newspaper article now and then where someone had been killed because someone was driving under the influence of alcohol, Mm -hmm. and especially it was the teenager that got killed. And I said, son, read this. This is really sad, man. You know, this kid's your age, you know. Uh, and then I, I would take him once a month with me on Saturday night. I went to the juvenile detention center and played ping pong with the, with the young guys that were in there. And I started taking him with me. And we would talk to these guys individually when we weren't playing. And they would tell their story. You know, and we'd walk home, we'd drive home. And I'd say, Derek, that's pretty sad, isn't it, buddy? Those guys aren't going home tonight. You know, because, because then they had already told us, you know, what they did. So I think it's exposing them. You're not preaching to them. Uh, you're, but you're exposing them to reality uh, through you know putting the right things in their hands to read and uh, giving them experiences like I just described. Yeah, kind of a scared straight approach. That's that's actually got to be very powerful to see your peers, as it were, your same age group, uh, kids being in that situation. That would be kind of a, a wake up call if you were considering going in the wrong direction. That's that's really a, an effective thing. Although you know, obviously, not everybody's going to do that, but that's good. Whether yeah. it's an article or what have you. I think that's really good. Uh, also, another thing you mentioned is really cultivating in your, in your teenager an attitude of service. Why is yeah. that so important, do you think? You know, I think because that is the central theme of the Christian lifestyle. You know, Jesus said about himself, I did not come to be served. I came to serve. Yeah. And so as his representatives, that's what we're here for. And we want our children to grow up not with a selfish attitude. I'm here to get what I can, you know, make myself happy. I'm here to serve other people. And that's why I think during those teenage years, it's really helpful. If you are involved in some kind of service in the community or in the church, let your teenagers know what you're doing. But if possible, take your teenagers with you. You know, if you're working in a soup, uh, in a soup kitchen or a food pantry, Take your, take your teenager with them. Let them see what's going on, what, what, you're, what you're doing and what others are doing. And they get the taste of the satisfaction of serving others. And so we don't wait till they get to be adults to think about serving. Let's serve where we are now. And, and that can be as simple as let's go mow grandmother's grass for her yeah. or let's go do this, you know, for, for grandfather or whatever. It, it can be family. It can be people in the community. But I think building in them that attitude of we are here to serve others. And when you see them grow up, 
and follow Christ and invest their lives in serving others. I mean, this is the payback. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, and we're in such a self-centered culture. It's a great thing to teach your kids early on. It's not just about you. You know, there are other yeah, people absolutely. out there yeah, who need you and you have gifts and talents from God and you should understand the importance of being there for other people. Well, I think all of these tips that you've offered in your book, Gary, are tremendous. Again, the name of the book is Things I Wish I'd Known Before My Child Became a Teenager from best-selling author Dr. Gary Chapman. Always a delight to talk to you, Gary. Thank you again for being with us. We really appreciate your work and appreciate your being here today. Well, thank you, Janet. Always enjoy chatting with you. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you for being with us here on Janet Mefford today. As always, it's a pleasure to interact with you and have you tune in. We hope you will do so next time. God bless you, and we'll see you then. Thank you.